0: Good evening and welcome again to our gospel meeting. We're very grateful for your presence. We are very very thankful to have visitors with us. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. It's good to see Brother Robert Jeffries with us from the South Haven Church. And I would mention that they have a gospel meeting beginning next Sunday. And so we want to encourage everyone to support that meeting. And I know that you would benefit from that gospel meeting. We are very thankful for the opportunity to be together tonight. It is an honor. And I said yesterday, and I will reiterate, it is a tremendous honor for me to have the opportunity to be a part of this meeting, to present these lessons. And I know that there are many, many capable men in our brotherhood. And we are very grateful for our brotherhood and for the great preachers and teachers throughout our our world. But it is an honor for me to stand in this pulpit not just for this gospel meeting, but from week to week. And I really appreciate the eldership here, every member. I appreciate so much the support, the love, the encouragement that I receive. And I really I guess you could say that I am prejudiced, partial, however however you want to say it, but I am partial to this congregation. I think that we have a great thing going on. And I, I remember I, I just, you know, I, I think about all of the great things that have gone on here throughout the years, and I feel very privileged to have just a very, a very small part in the history of this congregation. And so, having said that, it is, it is quite an honor for me to be, be here tonight and stand in this pulpit and to talk to you about things which are eternal in nature. Tonight I would invite you to turn with me to Psalm 127. We're going to be talking about the home and what we want to emphasize tonight is the home as God would have it. And I think what all of us need to understand is that there is a divine pattern for the home. God wants those of us who live in this world to find happiness and satisfaction in the home. And it's my conviction that if we will look to the Word of God and we will take God's Word as our pattern, then we can have a home like God intends for it to be. And so, having said that, I want us to think primarily about two things in our study tonight. First of all, we're going to talk about the crisis in the home, and then we're going to look in a positive way at the cure. For the home, by way of the crisis in the home. Sometimes you have to look at the bad before you can look at the good, and sometimes you have, to, you have to just be very honest and transparent about the state of things, the way things really are. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at some of the cracks in the foundation. The psalmist, many, many centuries ago, said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And I would begin by saying, unless your home is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in some real trouble. I'm not saying that there are not exceptions. No doubt there are homes across our world today that maybe there is a measure of happiness and satisfaction and contentment without the Lord. But the bottom line is this, by and large, if the Lord is not the foundation of your home, you're in trouble. And the chances of success are far less. Idealistically, what we want to do is make sure God is first in our home. What about some of the cracks in the foundation? What about the crisis in the home as we know it today? Well, someone said many, many years ago, as the home goes so goes the nation it doesn't take an Einstein to realize that our nation is in trouble from top to bottom from side to side and I think one of the reasons our nation is facing such catastrophic problems is because there are any number of real problems in homes all across our nation and so I want us to just try to be very honest about some of the problems that as a nation of people we're facing and how those those problems relate to the home. Number one, I don't know any other way to say it than one of the greatest problems we face in our nation has to do with divorce. I wish it were not so but even in the Lord's Church divorce is a real problem. Now in Matthew chapter 19 we read of Jesus and of course Jesus had his foes in his day and some of those foes were the religious leaders and the Bible tells us that they came to him on one occasion and asked a very pertinent question. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. The Lord responded to that question by asking them a question. He asked, Have you not read? And I want to just begin by saying many of the problems that are directly linked to homes all across our country could be attributed to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Have you not read? Far too many people in our country, in our world, have not read what God in his word has said about the home, about marriage, about his intentions for the home. And as a result of that, they are are neck deep in trouble. Now when we talk about divorce, let me just go on record as saying I feel for people, I sympathize with people who have experienced divorce and I don't know many of us in this day and time that have not been touched by divorce in some way or another. We have friends, we have family members, we have co-workers, we have neighbors. It seems like every every person that we come in contact with to some extent know someone or is on the receiving end of what we call divorce. In my own family, we have divorce. It's a problem, and I wish that were not the case. But the sad truth of the matter is, it's a fact. And I want, I want you to know that I sympathize with you. My own mother and father are divorced, and the bottom line is what Jesus said about divorce holds true for friends family members whomever God's word doesn't change it is it's not something that we can alter to fit our lifestyle but rather we are we are instructed to alter our lifestyle to comply with the will of God my own parents divorced and they did not have a scriptural reason for divorcing my mother later remarried. I begged her not to do that. I tell you that because I don't want you to think that I am insensitive to this subject. I am. And it is heartbreaking. And I have said that when two people divorce, it's not it's not an isolated thing. It's like standing at the side of a riverbank and throwing a, a rock into, into the water and just you just stand back and watch the ripple effect it affects everyone it affects your friends your family members it, it is a it's a terrible thing I, and I can understand why God said through Malachi the prophet that he hates divorce because God in his wisdom understands. All of the ramifications associated with divorce. And so we look around in our, in our nation today and we see that divorce is a real problem. And yes, it's in the church. And we have to be honest and upfront about that. We have to understand that there are people in the, Lord, in the Lord's church that, that have been divorced, are experiencing problems in their marriages. They may divorce. Maybe they are going through a divorce, whatever the case may be. Now, in Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about this problem of divorce, again, he asked the question, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He said, They will be no more more two, no more twain, but one flesh. In verse 6 he said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. God's original intent for the home, one man, one woman for life. Now the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they then asked a second question. Why did Moses command to give her a writing of divorcement and put her away? Jesus responded by saying, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered aloud, permitted you to put away your wife. He said, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I think really what what Jesus is saying there is this. Moses set forth certain stipulations relative to divorce, and it's based on Deuteronomy chapter 24, and you can go back and read that. And there were really two... Two schools of thought in the the days of Christ. One school of thought was that a person could divorce his mate if he found some uncleanness or some unseemly thing in her based on Deuteronomy chapter 24. There was another school of thought that said that a person could put away his mate for any and every cause. And that was really the basis of the questioning behind, or that was really the basis of the question that we read about in verse 3, posed by the religious leaders of Jesus' this day. And so Jesus is saying, look, God's original intent, one man, one woman, for life. But then in verse 9 he said, but I say unto you, and what we have to understand is Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28:18. God the Father said, We are to hear Him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. So, whatever Jesus says, we want to make sure that we hear Him. And Jesus said, But I say unto you, whosoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her that is put away, commits adultery. That's the only scriptural reason for divorce, and later remarriage on the part of the innocent. That's not what I said. That's what our Lord said. And as I said a moment ago, it's in my family. And I understand and sympathize with people who find themselves in this situation. But God's word does not change. I've got a friend of mine who said on one occasion, when it comes to preaching and teaching the gospel, he said, I have no friends and no family members. And the bottom line is, we have to stand behind what God in his word says, come what may. Because ultimately, ultimately this book's going to be what judges us. So divorce is a problem. It is a major problem in our nation. And it is one of the cracks in the foundation. A second problem that we face in our, in our nation and our country has to do with a lack of discipline. There are many statements made in the book of Proverbs relative to discipline. And, you know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the Lord loves those whom he chastens. In Proverbs 13:24, the wise man talks about how if we truly love our children, what will we do? We will not spare the rod of correction. I know that many years ago it it there was there was this thinking that was that was pawned off on the American public that what what you need to do is abstain from what we call corporal punishment. Children don't need to be spanked. Well, I was a child and let me tell you what. I got numerous spankings. Not just at home, but many times at school I'm not really proud of that but that's just a fact and it probably kept me out of jail there were many times that my teachers tore my backside up if you know what I mean and there were many times that my father tore my backside up I remember one time my mother chased me out the side of our garage with a broom. She was coming after me, and she meant to do bodily harm. Well, we we live in a day and time when parents are not disciplining their children. And if, if our children are not disciplined, then whose fault is that? It's the responsibility of the mother and the father. And we talk about the ramifications of failing to administer discipline in the home. One of the real problems, I think one of the byproducts of a lack of discipline in the home today is that young people do not respect authority. I I am grateful for the young people that we have in this congregation. I'm not saying that they are perfect, but I can promise you they're close to it, at least in my mind. And... You know, when you talk about when you talk about discipline and, and you talk about young people, if our young people are not disciplined, they're not going to learn to respect authority. And look at the problems that look at the problems that we face in our country today because people are defiant, they are rebellious, they're rebellious in the home, they're rebellious in school they're rebellious when it comes to law enforcement agencies and the bottom line is this if our young people do not learn to respect authority in the home why would they ever get to a point in time in life where they will bow in submission to the Word of God if they don't respect authority now chances are as they grow older in life they're going to repudiate the authoritative Word of Almighty God now I'm not saying that 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 is a natural consequence of that, but it is a potential danger. There are any number of young people today that have not been disciplined in the home, and you know where they are today? They're in prison. Our prisons are overrun with young people. And for all intents and purposes, the root of the problem is mama and daddy didn't do their job. Let me give you a third crisis in the home. This has to do with the homosexual agenda. We are living in a country today that is trying to redefine the American home. And they have made tremendous strides. All you have to do is just pick up the newspaper, pick up a magazine and you will see where the homosexual movement has an agenda and they are achieving ground in this country. There are any number of people in our government that have bought into this idea that it is acceptable for two men to live together and to have what they would define as a home and and listen we've got men living together and bringing children into this world through adoption and we have women two women living together doing the same thing well how do you think god in heaven feels about that the the bottom line is it it doesn't matter what we think what matters is what god thinks And if you go back and look at Genesis chapter 1, when God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a help me. That is, a suitable companion. I will make an answer to the needs of man. Did God make another man? We know the answer to that. Absolutely not. Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them what? Male and female." There was a reason for that. And there are people today that are pushing this alternative lifestyle and this alternative home life on the American public. And what we need to understand is it's not, it's not something that God condones. The alternative And the the repercussions to the homosexual agenda are unbelievable. You remember in 2 Peter chapter 2 when Peter talked about the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? He said God in heaven has left those cities as a perpetual reminder to all who would live ungodly if we have the idea that God just turns his head at the homosexual agenda in our nation, we've got another thing coming. And I would simply say this, that one of, the, one of the major reasons homosexuality is wrong is because it is a direct repudiation to the wisdom of Almighty God. God made a male and female. God didn't make two men. He didn't make two women to dwell together in a state of marriage. That ought not be lost on us. The homosexual lifestyle, the homosexual relationship is a perversion of God's intent for the home. I don't know any other way to say it. And the Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through eleven, that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can twist it, you can turn it any way you want, but the bottom line is this: God does not condone homosexuality. He condemns it. And so we plead with people who are caught up in that way of life to come out of that way of life, to turn to a loving God. Let me give you a fourth crisis in our home, in our homes across this country. I was telling Nancy a moment ago with regard to this point, I guess you could say this is just as blunt as I know how to say it. But one of the real problems in our nation today is we have too many deadbeat mothers and fathers. Do you know what I'm saying? We have far too many deadbeat mothers and fathers. And that's what they are. They are deadbeat mothers and fathers. Let me give you three areas that I think this holds true. Number one, we have far too many deadbeat mothers and fathers that are not providing for their children emotionally. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 that the aged women are to teach the, the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Can you imagine a young man or a young woman Terminating a child during pregnancy through abortion. The Bible talks about those who lack natural affection. And there are some parents that are unloving. They are cold. They are hard-hearted. They provide no emotional support for their children. They they offer no words of encouragement. There are children that wake up in the morning, that go to bed at night. They never hear the words, I love you. And all I can say is shame on mamas and daddies if that's the way they they act in the home. A second, I think, real problem has to do with finances. There are too many deadbeat mothers and fathers that are not supporting their children emotionally, nor are they supporting their children financially. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible talks about those who will not provide for their own. Paul said they are worse than an infidel, and they have denied the faith. Anybody can father a child. Anybody, for, within reason, can, can mother a child, can bring a child into this world. But it takes a real man or a real woman to stand up and provide for the emotional and financial needs of that child. And let me just say this. Mothers and fathers that walk away from their children and do not provide for them emotionally and financially, they will have a very hot place in hell. They will not get by with that kind of behavior on the day of judgment. God frowns upon mothers and fathers that do not provide for their own. I think about, I think about, I think about men and women today that are, that are bringing children into this world by the boatload. And guess, guess who cares for them? The government does. The very ideal. we need some some men and women to stand up and be a man or be a woman. To be what God would have you to be. And this idea of just putting it off on the grandmother or the grandfather, that is not biblical. There is a role that grandmothers and grandfathers have in this world. God did not intend for the grandmother or the grandfather to rear the children. God intended for the mother or the father to rear that child. And when a mother or father abdicates that responsibility, they are doing violence to the word of God. They're not honoring their God-given responsibilities and roles in the home. I don't know how to make it any plainer. Either we accept our responsibilities or we abdicate them. And if we abdicate them, we'll stand before Almighty God and we'll give an account of that. And if you know somebody that's a deadbeat mother or father and you need somebody to talk to them, just send them my way. I'll be happy to talk to them. Because I see how they treat their their mothers and fathers and it is a crying shame. Some of these deadbeat mothers and fathers are putting their own mothers and fathers in an early grave because they're not fulfilling their responsibility in the home. That's a crying shame. We talk, we talk about what's wrong with our country. I'll tell you what, all we need to do is look in the mirror as a nation of people. Far too many deadbeat mothers and fathers. Let me tell you a third way this is applicable. There are too many deadbeat mothers and fathers not, not supporting their children emotionally, financially, or spiritually. Here's what Paul said, And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's what God wants. God wants mothers and fathers who will rear their children in the Lord. We talk about... Our role as a parent, and we, and we emphasize the importance of caring for our children, should we provide for them emotionally and financially? Absolutely. But if we rob them spiritually, then we've done them equally a disservice. Children today have great opportunities to, be, to, to sit at the feet of highly educated individuals, and we emphasize the importance of, 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 of our children getting a good education in our school systems. Let me tell you what, if they if they know how to read and write and add and subtract and all that, all, all the other things that go along with school, that's great. They need, to do, they need to be able to do that. You need to be able to read so you can read the Bible. But if we encourage them to excel academically, athletically, socially, but we fail to encourage them to excel in the spiritual realm, have we not robbed them of the most important possession? A faith? Faith in God? Let me move on. Another crack in the foundation, drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol are a real problem in our country. We've got mamas and daddies that are drinking, taking drugs, smoking pot, getting high on crack, you name it. Now you tell me, what kind of chance does a a home have when they go out and bring into the home drugs and alcohol? They don't have much of a chance from my vantage point. Solomon said that those who partake of al- alcoholic beverages and alcohol is a drug, he said they're not wise. He said wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. We're, we're, what we want to do is encourage people to, to maintain their home life, to keep that home intact. When people bring drugs and alcohol into the home, the chances of survival are minimal. And listen, if mamas and daddies are sitting around smoking pot, and there are mamas and daddies that are smoking pot with their own children now, and they're drinking with their children because they want to be their buds. If you're a mama or a daddy, you're not the bud. You understand what I'm saying? Do do we want to be a friend to our child? Yes, we do. But we need to understand we are the parents, they are the children. We have to set the tone in the home. And so we've, we've got to set the standard. And, and if, if, if our children see us drinking and smoking and, and, and taking drugs, don't be surprised if we find them meddling in the liquor cabinet. Don't be surprised if we find them opening the refrigerator and getting one of our beers. Monkey see, monkey do. It's an old statement. Still true. A sixth crisis in the home, money and materialism. Here's what Jesus said. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Luke 12, verse 15. All Jesus is saying is, life does not revolve around what you possess. Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There are many, many homes that have been sacrificed on the altar of money and materialism. And there are a lot of children in our world today that have paid a heavy price because of the overindulgences of their mother and father. Look at at the state of our our country. By and large, as a nation of people, we are the most prosperous nation in the world. I would freely grant that, that, by and large, the income, the average income, the median income, of families across this nation has accelerated greatly in the last 50 years. But let me ask this question: Are we any better off? When I was growing up, we we lived in about an 11 or 1200 square foot home. We had it was a one car garage. It's a shoebox, really, what it was. When when I when I preached at Macon Road, the neighborhood there that, that was really typical of the homes around that neighborhood. One car garage, carport, three small bedrooms, about 11, 12, 1,300 square feet. Look, look at our homes today. We have two, three, four, five thousand 5,000 square foot homes. We've got multiple garages. We've got any number of vehicles. We've got boats. We've got, I mean, you name we've got it. But are we any better off? I mean we got all the bells and whistles. we got everything money can buy, but are we any better off? Paul said they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. There are a lot of people that have sacrificed their soul for money and materialism. All right, we've looked at the bad, now let's look at the good. We talked about the crisis, let's talk about the cure, the cornerstone of the foundation. What we're pleading for is success in the home. What I'm pleading for, I want you to be I want you to be successful as a mother, as a father, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, as a young person. We want to have the kind of home that God would be pleased with. What kind of home is that? Well, look again at Psalm 127. The bottom line is this, you have to build on the Lord. If you want a successful home, you've got to build on the Lord. Listen again to the psalmist. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Let me give you three truths that I believe we ought to take and implement into our homes. Number one, we need to develop trust in the Lord. Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The bottom line is this. We must realize that God's ways are tried, tested, and they work. That's the bottom line. We talk about success. We talk about wanting to get the most out of our home life. Here's the bottom line. If you will do what God says to do in his word, the chances are success are great. Trying. Testing. Look at all the books that have been written in our, in, our, in our nation and across this globe on the home. Imagine if you can, going into a bookstore and, and telling somebody standing at the counter, all right, I need a book that that tells me how to treat my mate. And in that book, I need need the authors to address the importance of love. I need them to be able to, to, to deal with, in a very frank way, our roles, our responsibilities. I need them to talk to me about our finances, about disciplining our children about sexual intimacy, all of the things that make up a home, I need need something that will help me. How many books do you think they would put on the counter? Let me just give you one book that will answer it all right here. This book. This book right here. Try this book. I promise you if you'll take this book and you'll make application, chances of survival in your home are increased dramatically. God's ways they've been tried they've been tested and they work I remember sitting in a home many years ago and talking to a couple that had been married over 70 years I don't know how many funerals I've conducted for people that have been married 50 plus years and they they built their home around the Lord and you know what that said to me it it, it said every time and it says today God's ways work. If we could ever get that through our head, God's ways work. I promise you, they work. Trusting. Trust in the Lord. Number two, determined to teach about the Lord in the home. And there are three things that I would share with you along this line. Now, I cited just a moment ago Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul said, And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. In other words, don't be too overbearing on your children. It may be the case that you discipline them, but at the same time, encourage them, build them up. But he said, train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have to, as parents, teach our children about the Lord. Number one, we have the responsibility of promoting heaven's ways in the home. Go back and look at the law of Israel, the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God through Moses said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. These words which I command you shall be in your heart. He said, And you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's what we as parents need to do. teach our children about the Lord. We send our children to school and we want them to learn how to read, to write, to perform basic math skills and learn about history and all these other great things. There's so many different things that our children learn. But let me tell you what. when, I, when our children go to school, are they learning to be honest? Are they learning to be truthful? Are they learning to be people of integrity? Are they learning to practice the golden rule? Are they learning to not use bad language? The bottom line is, who has the responsibility of putting these great truths in the minds of our children? We do as parents, as mothers and fathers. We have to teach our children. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, his own son in the faith, he talked about how Timothy had a godly mother and grandmother. He talked about the faith that dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. And he said, And am persuaded in you also? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said, And that from a babe, and that from a baby you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus? Where did Timothy learn? about the scriptures in the home. So that's a great role model for us. Promoting heaven's ways in the home. Number two, we must pattern our life after heaven's ways in the home. As mothers and fathers, we have the responsibility of setting before our children the right example. It's not enough for us to simply talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. As Paul said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in manner of life. Let me just pause there and say this. As a mama and daddy, our children need to see Christ living in us on a daily basis. They need to see the Lord living in us by what we say and what we do. We have the obligation, the responsibility of setting before them the way of Christ. As a mama or daddy, if you're not bringing your children to Bible school every time the doors are open, and if you're not bringing your children to worship every time the doors are open, shame on you. You need to be doing that. Your children are looking to you to set the lead or to take the lead in the home. It's your responsibility. It's not the child's responsibility to get up and say, all right, Mama, come, all right, Daddy, we, we've got to go to church today, or we've got to go to worship today. That's your responsibility. And so we need to do that. We need we need to set the right example in the home. And then a third thing associated with this point, we must prepare for a heavenly home. If you don't plan to go to heaven Chances are you're not going to get there. Listen to what the psalmist said in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Think about a warrior standing, standing tall in the saddle. He's got his bow and arrow. He takes that bow. He takes that arrow and he aims for a target. In this context, the target is heaven. As mamas and daddies, we need to be pointing our children toward heaven. I've said before and I'll say it again. It's really a question, I guess you could say. Where will your children spend eternity? My answer is, in all probability, where you do. Now, I understand that there are parents that have done everything that they know humanly possible to teach, to instruct, to train their children in the paths of righteousness. And when our children leave our home, we have no jurisdiction over them. At some point in time, they fly solo and they make their own decisions. And sometimes they make bad decisions. But all we can do is do our dead level best. And when we've done that, then the blood's not on our hands. But... We're trying to point our children in the direction of heaven. And we're, we're, we're trying to the best of our ability to give them the absolute best possibility of getting from earth to heaven. The only way to do that is to point them in that direction. Listen to what Paul said many years ago. He talked about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, those who mind earthly things. And he contrasted that with the child of God who, when he said, But our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As God's people, we are strangers and sojourners upon this earth. We're pilgrims, as the old fellow said to Jeremiah Johnson. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through this earth. We want to go to heaven. We want our children to go to heaven. So number one, develop trust in the Lord. Number two, determine to teach about the Lord. And number three, devote time to the Lord. Very quickly. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let me give you three bullet points here when we talk about devoting time to the Lord. Number one, read the word of God. I cannot emphasize to you enough about reading this book. Spend time in this book every day. Paul said, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We must spend time in this book. Every day. Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't grow spiritually if you're not feeding on God's Word. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Many of us, we would never think of going without a meal. But we don't think anything about going to bed at night without having read or spent some time in this book. Read God's Word. Number two, Regularly worship God regularly worship God I I applaud you for being at this worship service tonight for coming and being a part of this service where we can lift our hearts in praise to God through song where we can approach the throne of God and we can study his word there are some people that would like to be here that cannot be here because they have other responsibilities maybe they're working maybe they're sick whatever But let me tell you what, there are some people within this congregation that are not here, and you know who they are. I know where they are because I know where they sit, and they're not here. They ought to be here. Why aren't they here? You tell me. You tell me why they're not here. I think I know. They ought to be here. Their children ought to be here, but they're not. Is it because they don't love the Lord enough? Is it because they don't love the Lord's word enough? You tell me. Read the word of God, regularly worship God, and then thirdly, responsibly work in the kingdom of God. Paul said, We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You and I, we have responsibilities on the job and in the home. And guess what? It's no different in the Lord's church. The church is the house of the living God. And so there are certain responsibilities that all of us have. If you you do not have a niche in in the work of the church, could I encourage you to get involved? What's the old saying, an idle mind is a devil's workshop? You ever heard that phrase? When I was at Lipscomb many years ago, Willard Collins was the president. And he used to have a saying. He would say, busy and happy at DLC. If you're busy, you're happy. And you need to be busy in the kingdom of God. Paul said, be ready unto every good work. There are a lot of works that are taking place in this congregation Do you have a part in this work? Maybe you're here from a sister congregation. I hope and pray that you're involved in the work there. But we have the opportunity to be a servant of the Most High God. The home as God would have it. I hope and pray when you leave here tonight that you've been encouraged. I said a moment ago that sometimes you have to look at the bad before you can see the good. To me... The positive that we can take is, look, we know what God wants. We know what God wants for us. It's up to us to put it into practice. If you're here tonight and you're not a member of the Lord's church, could I encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God? Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am there, you cannot come. Would you be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to give up sin, to confess the name of Jesus before others, Romans 10, 9, and 10, to be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2.38. God will then add you to his family, the church, Acts 2.47. And the Bible says, if you're faithful until death, the crown of life awaits you, James 1.12. Let me close by saying this. Somebody said to me last night, but they thought about coming forward, but they didn't. Look, we're here to help one another. And if you feel like you need coming forward, if you feel like you need to come forward, please do not feel embarrassed. I'll meet you in the aisle. One of the elders will meet you on the aisle. If you feel like you need to come forward, then come forward. We're all in this thing together. We're trying to go to heaven. And what we're trying to do is take as many people with us as we can. And so I would encourage you, if you need the prayers of the church, we'll pray for you. If you've not been what you ought to be and you need God to forgive you and to bless you so that you can live faithfully, we'll pray for you. All we ask is that you come and give us a chance. Would you come as we stand and sing?